0: we're going to continue our christmas uh, sermon series which we're looking at the the songs around the the birth of jesus and uh, we've spent a few uh, a few weeks now we we looked first of all 2 weeks ago at elizabeth's song and then uh, we looked at the Probably one of the, the the most well known out of the, the songs that we we will look at, which was Mary's song, the Magnificat, which is often sung at through choirs and, and, and different time, uh, and in this this uh, this morning we're going to spend some time looking at what's entitled in a lot of uh, Bibles as as Zechariah's prophecy, but it is also in the, in the form of a of a song, and uh, just a wee bit of a wee bit of uh, uh, context for you. Um, in, in, in this, we, we have this man, Zechariah, who has also had an angel appear to him at the beginning of Luke. And this angel has come to him and said that, that he and his wife, who couldn't have children, that you're going to have a child. And that they would have to call him John. And, and the angel reveals something about the, how wonderful this son would be. And, and Zechariah doubted what the angel said. And we see this contrast between Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah doubted, but, but Mary believed and basically gave her, amen. let it be so, let it be as you have said was her response to what the angel Gabriel came and said to her about her having the baby Jesus. But Zechariah questions the angel, and because of this, the angel basically says, there's now going to be a consequence for your disbelief and while you are waiting for this son, you will not be able to speak. So for some nine months, Zechariah has been mute. He's not been able to utter a word. He's been, we see that earlier on in Luke as well, that he actually, he's been speaking through um, writing on tablet. He's been writing stuff down. Uh, And it's not until Elizabeth gives birth and Zechariah fulfills what the angel had asked him to do and wrote on the tablet that the baby's name is to be John. He then we read that his tongue is loosed. Immediately his tongue is loosed. We read that he blesses the Lord. Uh, and this is the first thing that we, we read of him uh, really in detail saying so. We could suppose that this is the blessing that he, he offers. And this is the response of, of nine months of being silent of not being able to speak not being able to utter a word can you imagine what that would have looked like and felt like disbelief not believing what the angel had said on behalf of the lord and then seeing elizabeth become more and more pregnant <laughs> The bump growing more and more. The, the promise becoming closer and closer. And Zechariah is sitting there in silence, not being able to speak. You'd have a lot of time to think. There'd be a lot of time to ponder, you know, why did I not just believe what the Lord had said? And then we read of this wonderful uh, song, this wonderful prophecy where Zechariah offers uh, these words. We'll read from Luke chapter 1, verse 67 down to verse 80. After nine months of silence. This is the overflow of Zechariah's heart. And his father, which is, they're speaking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us, in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his peoples in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, To give light to those who sit in darkness, and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Amen. We're going to spend the majority of our time this morning looking at uh, verses 68 down to verse 75. And it's worth noting that in the, in the Greek, these, that, those verses from 68 down to verse 75, which is basically Zechariah speaking about not his own son that's just been born, but actually he's speaking about Mary's child. He's speaking about the Messiah, the one who was promised from of old, Jesus and it's worthwhile saying that from verse 68 down to verse 75, that, that in the Greek it is, it is one sentence. There's, there's not a full stop between it. It, it, it is just one flow of continual um, uh, praise, adoration, um, prophecy that Zechariah offers. We'll touch on this more in a couple of Sundays time because it's important that that we we spend some time looking at that this thing but but just to to note as well that in verse 67 we read that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he prophesied And, and it's important for us to to realize that this wasn't just like Zechariah you know picking some old Bible passages from you know from the Old Testament and and giving What he thought was the best thing to be able to say. But actually, this was revealed to him through divine inspiration. This was prophecy that came through being filled by the Holy Spirit this isn't just some nice song that Zechariah wanted to sing but actually he was so moved by God that God actually moved him by his Holy Spirit and and the overflow of that was this prophecy that Zechariah would give this song but we'll spend some more time looking at that in a few weeks time when we spend um, time looking at Simeon's song in Luke chapter 2. like I said you could really kind of divide this between two kind of views two um, real thoughts that Zechariah was speaking about the first being he's speaking about Jesus and then in verse 76 we see this shift where he goes on to speak about his own child the child that God had promised to him at the beginning of Luke chapter 1 through the angel where he speaks about John the Baptist but I love how the first thing he does is, is he speaks about Jesus. The first response that he has is, is to draw on and bless the Lord. Not for him and his wife having a child after years of not being able to conceive, But actually the first thing he does and we see where Zechariah's priority now lay and where his priority was and the posture of his heart was the first person he wanted to speak about was was Jesus because Jesus makes all the difference. And Jesus makes a difference in our lives and in God's people's lives. Again, this is so jam-packed with Old Testament imagery and Old Testament language. And uh, even we, we, we'll, we'll see some, some phrases that are used that are pulled out of the Old Testament as well. And we'll spend some time um, looking at some of them, but we won't be able to go into all of them in detail because there's just so much. It's so rich, this song that he sang. So he begins by saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Verse 68. For he has visited and redeemed his people. He begins by blessing the Lord. The first words we read earlier on, a few verses before, after nine months of not being able to speak, is to bless the Lord. Would we forgive him if the first response was come on God that wasn't fair. I was just asking how it was going to be possible that, 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 that me and my wife could have a, a child in our old age and, and often and also with her not being able to conceive. Would we forgive him if that had been the first, uh, the first words that he would utter saying God come on what are you playing at? Nine months of not being able to speak, not being able to communicate and, and speak to people as I normally would. It would have affected everything in his life. Nine months. But we see that's not where Zechariah begins. begins by saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He probably had a lot of thinking time, a lot of time to ponder what he'd done and why he responded the way he did. But the the first thing he does is blessed be the Lord God of Israel. I think often the first words Are a real indication of where our heart is I wonder what are the first words you say in the morning when you wake up what are the first words you say when someone wrongs you what are the first words you say when you're angry or you're disappointed or someone's not followed through on something they said they would or when something good happens what are the first words you say? Because I think they really are an indication of the posture of our hearts. And we would do well to follow Zechariah's example. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel in the good times, in the bad times, in the hard times, in the strange times even in the midst of so much uncertainty that we find ourselves in, the first words, friends, we should be saying is, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And again, as we saw with Mary's song, she, she offers this blessing and then she tells us why she's blessing the Lord. We see exactly the same here with Zechariah. For he, blessed God and why for he has visited and redeemed his people why do you praise God what's your for what's your for why do you why would you say bless the Lord O oh my soul for he has what I leave you to ponder on that. But Zechariah says, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I love this word, visited, and I've spent a couple of hours this week wrestling and and fighting with this word, trying to... Uh, get some sort of comprehension in a way that I could try and even begin to explain what this word means and 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 why why we have the word visited here but in other places we and other translations we see for it says for he has looked after So it's quite a, in in the English, it looks like quite a difference, looked after and visited. They look like two different words and kind of two different meanings, but they both come from the same word. And, and, And I think that this is one of the most important parts of Zechariah's song, because if this word visited wasn't here, the song would stop. If this word wasn't here, there would be nothing else to sing about. This is the reason why Zechariah can go on and say what he says. Because the Lord God has visited and redeemed his people. So, put your seatbelts on. Because we're about to go through a little bit of Greek and a little bit of uh, language this morning. So please do bear with me. This word we have visited here. In in our translation in the ESV, is the verb that's translated, it's visited. And it comes from a really important noun in the Greek, which is the noun episcopus. So that's where this verb comes from. It comes from the noun episcopus. Now, some of you, if you know stuff about church, you might already be going to Episcopalian. That might be the the next place where you would go after this word. And it does, it's got links to it because of the the governance of that church. That's why they have the word um, uh, Episcopus in their title the the episcopalian church it talks about their governance their governance as uh, as a denomination it speaks about um oversight it speaks about they use bishops Uh, and it all comes from this 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 noun important noun episcopus so i don't want to get too complicated this morning and i don't want to lose you okay so bear with me the root of this word episcopus is the word scopus So the word scopus is at the root of this word episcopus, which we have the verb that we are translated here as visited. So it obviously comes from it, but in the English visited um, might seem a bit different from looked after as it's translated elsewhere. So scopus, I wonder what words come to your head when I mention the word scopus. You might think of scope or telescope, microscope. It's got something to do with seeing. It's got something to do with looking. Which is why some translations translate this word we have visited as looked after. This word visit in the Greek points to one's oversight. It points to one's oversight oversight and actually peter in in first peter he draws on this and actually uh, expands on it in, in a really helpful way where he says for you were like straying sheep but i've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls it's the same kind of word it comes from the same greek word scopus and episcopus so although we have visited it doesn't mean that God has come and brushed by us. Like we've, we've, we've walked past him as we would walk past someone on Socky Hall Street. But what this word means is that God has come to see you. He's come to see you. He's come to watch over you. He's come to have oversight of you. He's the overseer, as Peter says, of our souls. So why do we have the word visited here in the ESV? Well, R.C. Sproul makes a really helpful link between vision, which has to do with looking as well, and visit. Visit and vision. In the English, they're very, very close together. And kind of it's about how when you go and visit someone, what are you doing? You're going to see them. That's why you go and visit someone. You go to see them. It's like when the doctor comes to see you, he comes to look at you. He comes to examine you. So God has come to visit. He's come to see you. He's come to have oversight of you as his children. He's come to examine you. For what purpose? Just as in the Exodus when God visited or appeared to his people. It was for their deliverance from slavery. And that's why Zechariah says he's visited, he's come to see you, He scoped you out to redeem you. To redeem you as his people. So verse... It might be in Luke, it might not, forgive me. Where Jesus, I would say he expands on this in a really, really helpful way. This visit unredeemed. Where Jesus expands on this in a really helpful way. Where Jesus says, I've come. The son of man has come. There's the visit part. To seek, there's the vision part. And save. Save there's the redemption part, those who are lost. He's come to seek and save that which was lost. It's exactly what we have here in Zechariah's opening song. God has visited, he scoped us out as his people for our redemption. So you can take your seatbelt off now. That's our Greek done for this morning. He's come to visit and he's redeemed his people. And this word redeemed is a synonym for salvation. He's come to bring salvation. And we know as, as we've looked over the last few weeks that redemption and salvation is such a hugely key and important Old Testament theme. And I would say, if, if I was to really simplify things, I would say after Genesis chapter three, where sin soon as entered into the world, everything we have, is the outworking and the outrolling of the story of God's people and their redemption. It's all to do with the redemption of God's people. It's why we have this, that what we, if we were to read it, we, for some of us it might seem mental, the, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. It's not just for something for them to do in their spare time, but it, it's pointing to a day when someone would come. It's a prophetic declaration and image of the redemption and the sacrifice that Jesus would offer. We even see it within the law that actually it shows us that how distant, how far away we are from God, that we cannot do it in and of ourselves and that someone would have to come and redeem us from the curse of the law. We see it within the prophets where they remind God's people time and time again of the hope and the promise of their deliverance and their redemption as God's people. And this word redemption, w- within it, it it's, it's got this kind of idea of, of saving at a high price. Saving at a high price. To save at a cost. To rescue at a high price. Friends, I think sometimes we are in a real danger of forgetting the price that heaven has paid for our redemption. Because we're so used to the Bible stories. We forget about how incredibly good news this is because we hear the Christmas story every year. We forget and maybe even we desensitize the, the gruesomeness and the horrific price that Jesus would have to pay at the cross for our sins. Because we sit at the Lord's table in a fairly regular basis when we were not in covid So don't forget actually within this word redeemed and redemption that God paid such a high price for you to be saved. To redeem us. To redeem his people and free them. And how is a redemption possible? Zechariah says in verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. David. raised up a horn of salvation this word and this phrase horn of salvation is a hugely important hebrew metaphor what what it, the, the horn symbolized the strength of an animal that's what the horn symbolized it symbolizes the, the might and the strength of an animal and and in hebrew the Point of this metaphor is is to show power and might. King David himself draws on this image in Second Samuel chapter twenty-two, where he speaks of um, God being. Listen to these words in his song of deliverance, his own song: "My God, my Rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield." And the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. You save me from violence. This image is meant to point to a strong and a mighty Savior. And God has raised up this horn of salvation And it's not a million miles away from in Mary's song where she speaks about his arm not being, you know, not being too short. But his arm is mighty to save. It's it's pointing to the same imagery that actually the one who has come to redeem us. That he is so powerful. He's so mighty. God has raised up, Zechariah Zechariah says, and he's brought forth. and, And for want of a better word, that actually... In, in the person of Jesus, we, we have the, the, the hopes and the promise of salvation and redemption and freedom. In Jesus, these are personified. They are made real. They become a person. So no longer is it just a hope or a promise that people would pass from one generation to the next. But it's about to be a lived reality through the person of Jesus Christ that the one who was born, that one day he would die. I was speaking to a friend this week, and he was telling me of his wee girl. His wee girl is primary one, age five, so they're obviously going through some of the nativity stuff in school. And she came in one day to her parents, and was quite distraught. They asked her, Why are you you crying? What's up? And she said, I can't believe they killed baby Jesus. And they looked puzzled and they kind of thought, What's she been learning in school? And they teased out, You know, what do you mean they killed baby Jesus? He was born at Christmas and he died at Easter. Poor wee lamb thought Jesus was only a few months old but friends in her simplicity of that question she's tapping into something of the tremendous price that heaven paid for our redemption and how mighty the horn of salvation that God raised up for us but he came as a baby he lived for some 33 years. Thankfully, it wasn't the first Easter time that <laughs> he died. But one day he would die on behalf of his people. He would suffer for our sins as a substitutionary atonement, as a ransom for many. For why? For us, Zechariah says, for us blows my mind God visited and redeemed so that you could know freedom and Zechariah points to the Old Testament promises of this horn of salvation and 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 where he would come from the the house of david and it's why we see matthew begin his gospel with the genealogy of jesus because it's so important to show the credibility of the one who was born in bethlehem that actually this one who is born that he is the promised one that he doesn't just come from abraham but he comes from all the way down to david and then all the way down to jesus and we see a, a, a horn being used in David's process of being anointed and elected as king over Israel. We, we see this in First Samuel chapter 16, and hopefully the words will appear behind you. Let me read in verse 1. This is where David is anointed as king. Saul has just been rejected by, by God as king of Israel And God speaks to Samuel and says, you have to go and anoint someone else who I have chosen. This is what the Lord said. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Then we read in verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for he will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up. And went to Ramah. When Samuel had to go, he had to anoint this king who was this shepherd boy in Israel, who would not just look after physical sheep, but he would look after God's people as their chosen king. And he was anointed with a horn of oil. But here in Zechariah, it's not a horn of oil that God has raised up from the house of David, but it's a horn of salvation. This mighty Savior. That's why we see the Magi when they came and they said, Who was where's the one who was born to be king? That's why Herod was so worried, because the one who was born was not just the Savior, but he was the King. And he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, David is a prophetic glimpse of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Samuel, all those years before, anointed a young shepherd boy to be king of God's people in a little town called Bethlehem. Here we have Zechariah some 1,000 years later, singing of the horn of salvation who God had raised up from the house and the line of David, who be born in Bethlehem as the prophet Micah said. We read about it this morning that from Bethlehem who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler and he is king and he is redeemer and then in verse 70 to 73 as Zechariah says this as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. And then he was going to say that we, being delivered from the hand of enemies, might serve him without fear. Again, we looked at this last week about this promise that we see time and time again within the Old Testament. And if I really wanted to simplify it this morning, because I don't want to go over what we spoke about last week. But if I really wanted to simplify what Zechariah is saying in these verses, it is this. God has done what he said he's going to do through the prophets. It's as simple as that. God is doing and God has done what he said he is going to do. And I think we have this uh, misconception that we are the only ones on this side of the cross who are called to live by faith and not by sight. Because actually, what do we think the people in the Old Testament did as well? They lived by faith, not by sight. They They were hoping and praying and believing in the promises that God had spoken that this Redeemer would come. The cry of their heart was, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. They were believing in that promise that God would one day come as He said He would through His prophets. And they believed, they had faith. They lived and breathed the promises that God had spoken. And then on this side of the cross, we believe in the completed and finished work of the cross. We trust in what God has said he has done. That it's enough for our redemption. We live by faith as well and not by sight. But our prayer is no longer, O come, O come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel Actually, the song and the cry and prayer of our heart is, O come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord, He's done it. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's paid the price. He's given us a new song that we can sing. Let us adore Him because He's freed us. He's redeemed us. He's saved us. And why are we redeemed? Why are we set free? Why are we saved? Zechariah says this as well. Verse seventy four that we might serve him without fear. We're saved so we can serve him. It's for his glory. That's why we see this call to to live out the gospel, to to be the, the body of Christ, to be his hands and his feet. To join in what God is calling us to be part of His plan, His mission. We're saved so we can worship. We're saved so we can serve. But it's an interesting word, and we're just going to close with this. That this word that that, that Zechariah uses here, that we might serve Him, He doesn't use the word worship, He doesn't talk about glorifying, He talks about serving. Now, Zechariah was off the priestly line, and, and that's where he was when the angel came and spoke to him. He was going about his priestly duty. So something of service would have been very uh, natural for Zechariah. It's something he would have, have done. Every day he would have served the Lord. So it's interesting that he uses this word, but actually in this we also see him tease out something that is also very closely linked to the, the, the Exodus and the delivery of God's people from Egypt. There is so much that we see um, happen in the coming of Jesus that we see already been spoken about in the, in the Exodus and the deliverance from slavery from Egypt for God's people. That actually we read in Exodus chapter 3 verse 12 this God said, But I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. They're released from slavery, and they return to Mount Sinai, just as God said they would. And in Exodus chapter 19, when that happens, we read this in verses 4 and 6 you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And listen to this, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It has always been God's plan that there would be a priesthood of all believers. That is such an important reformation principle about this priesthood of all believers. It's one of the the reasons and the, the, the big differences that we see between the Protestant church and the Roman Catholic church. It's one of the reasons why the reformation happened is this principle of the priesthood of all believers. What does that mean? In a very simple way, it means this. That we do not have to go through another man to get to God. But actually each person in Christ. Shares in Christ's priestly status. Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest. And his name is Jesus. And he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And what's he doing? He's forever interceding for his people. And actually as the redeemed people of God the calling on our life is to serve God as his priest and as a holy nation it's always been God's plan that there be a priesthood of all believers there's no special access granted to any man or woman there's no set second class citizen within the kingdom of God if you're in Christ you're already seated with him in heavenly places, the Gospels tell us. You're already seated with him in heavenly places. You already have all access to God through Christ and through the shedding of his blood. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't just see you, but he sees you through Jesus. Our high priest is not a man. It's the son of man, the son of God, and his name is Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, we can now serve God the Father without fear, in holiness and righteousness, all of our days. So don't sit there thinking, I'm not good enough to be a part of God's plan and what God is calling His people to do. Because we're only there because of Jesus. So friends, in the coming our saviour not only has redeemed us but he's also equipped us. He's equipped us as, as Timothy says for every good work. For every good work. So if you're sitting there this morning thinking I can't pray you know, I can't come before God that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because he's called us to be his priests and a holy nation. Serving him and his kingdom. So we can serve him as free children of God. Without fear. But with a boldness that can only come because of whose name we come in. The name of Jesus. The horn of salvation. The prince of peace. The king of kings. Our high priest. God incarnate. The Word made flesh, Emmanuel. as verse 75 says, "This isn't just for Sundays, but this is for all our days." And as the psalmist says, "And in God's house, forevermore, my dwelling place shall be." Friends' love came down at Christmas. Because God remembered his promise that he made. Because he raised up a strong and mighty saviour. Who would stand in the gap. And who would become our high priest. Who would equip us for every good work that God calls his people to be involved in. And we now have direct access to God the Father. Through Jesus the Son. Isn't the Christmas story And it's fruit just simply beautiful. And don't forget friends. As verse 69 says. This is for us. It's for you. And all you have to do. Is call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This day. And be saved. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for Zechariah's song. Lord, the example he is to us about the the, the first things we say being important. So Lord, we say, bless the Lord, O my soul. For you have saved us, you've redeemed us, you've set us free. But you've also equipped us. Lord, we have all access. And Lord... Christ's inheritance is now our inheritance. We share in Christ's inheritance because we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. So, Father, would you empower your people this day with a boldness to share the Christmas story, the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus came to save his people from their sins so that we could serve you forever. And ask these things in your precious name.